1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
2: If you had to pin me down, I would say that I believe that the Templars did deposit gold at Oak Island, but that later on it was taken away. Um, I just don't think that an organization that is that powerful and that knowledgeable and that good at keeping secrets and maintaining itself would just sort of forget that that they deposited all this treasure and lose track of it. I've heard one of the things that's floating around out there and there's another set of journals not related to the Cremona document but another set of journals again that have not been substantiated but those journals talk about how the treasure was taken in 1775 by a group of Freemasons who came up to Nova Scotia from Philadelphia and brought the gold back and used it to fund the American Revolution.
0: If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive, commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com and click on David S. Brody is an attorney turned bestselling author. He writes terrific books, fictionalized accounts that examine pre-Columbian America. And his books are really suspense thrillers. I think David has written now about 16 novels. He's just, in the last two weeks, published his latest, Sheba's Revenge, uh, which deals with, among other things, the legend of buried treasure at Canada's fabled Oak Island. David S Brody, welcome. How are you?
2: Richard, thank you. It's great to be with you again.
0: Likewise, likewise. So, I mentioned eight-time Amazon best-selling, but I think that's outdated. Is it like 10 now or a dozen times you've topped the Amazon <laughs> it, best-selling it
2: is list? 10, thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, it's been a fun run. These books, this whole idea I think of the history of America not really being told, has really captured people's imaginations and they're fun. And so people tend to read them, and I'm appreciative of that.
0: You have sort of stayed away, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, you've sort of hinted at uh, Oak Island in previous books, maybe a certain artifact found there as maybe uh, examples of, you know, the fact that the Romans were around pre, you know, obviously pre-Columbus. But this is the first time you sort of have put more of a focus on Oak Island, if I'm not mistaken, right?
2: Yes, that's a very astute observation. I I have stayed away from it, uh, mostly because... So many other people are talking about it and writing about it, and I didn't at the time really think I had anything original to say. And then I started digging down a little bit, and I—I I, I don't know if you—if you know of an author by the name of Zena Halpern, who passed away a few years ago, and she's been a frequent guest on the Curse of Oak Island show. Uh, I was very close with her, and I ended up with a lot of her notes, and she had written a book very quickly um, before she passed on, and was planning on doing a sequel. And from those notes and from other things I found, I, I finally sort of stumbled upon some information about Oak Island that I thought was worthy of writing about. And so I, like everyone else, took the dive into Oak Island. And you know, my, I, my wife said, "Why'd you finally do it?" And I actually quoted to her the, a great quote I had read, which was that all old men dream of finding the little child within who still believes in buried treasure. <laughs> that's, that's sort of why we all are so interested. In Oak Island, I think we all love that the, the romance of the buried treasure, and I'm the same. I just like, I just can't get enough of it. I, you know, I sit there once a week and I watch it, and I don't really ever find anything, and yet I turn it on again a week later, and I'm just fascinated by it, like so many other people are.
0: Right, and just tell us a little bit about the main protagonist in this series of books, uh, Cam, and yeah. he's been uh, how many books has Cam been sort of featured in? This is his thirteenth. Is thirteen, and he's kind of a middle-aged archaeologist investigator. But there's something new in his life. He, he's recently widowed in this book.
2: Right. So the widowing happened a couple books earlier, and, uh. and boy, did I get some nasty, you know, fan mail from from ex, from fans who were upset. Um, he had been with Amanda for ten books, and you know, it was just one of those things. You know, if, if you have people running around getting shot at all the time. At some point, it just doesn't seem realistic if they always survive. It's like the old Batman series. You know, Batman and Robin always survive, but we were little kids back then. So I decided to have the tragedy, and then he moved on, and and he's now with a uh, sort of interesting, exotic Mossad agent, and, and that has allowed me to tie in some other geopolitical subplots into the stories, which is what I did with this. It's Oak Island, but it also ties into some turmoil in the Middle East. But yeah, so he's, sort of just recovering and starting to dip his toe into into dating again.
0: Right. So in the book, Cam is approached by a TV producer who uh, wants to explore Oak Island yet again and has a new way, sort of a new technology he wants to employ. I guess it hasn't been tried before. And it's based on the Boston Big Dig project. <laughs> right. So... Aside from finding a few artifacts here and there, they've never, ever, no one has ever been able to uncover the legendary gold that's supposedly at the bottom of the money pit. But this idea that this TV producer comes up with, and he wants Cam to basically, before he goes and spends $10 million to perform this big dig on Oak Island, he wants to confirm that there is Templar treasure
2: there. Right. But he, this doesn't idea want, he doesn't that want this- to contribute to the money pit. He doesn't want to be the next guy to throw his money down the pit.
0: Right, so, but this idea that this TV producer comes to cam with based on the Boston Big Dig I mean is that is there some validity to that? Would this be a new way of excavating? I mean, it would just excavate the entire island right
2: right so it 's called, it's called the slurry wall excavation, and you wouldn't even need to hold on what slurry wall construction is is essentially you you dig a big pit and you insert a slurry formula of Material and they're partially liquid and partially solid, and you basically freeze it. And the, those frozen walls then prevent this pit from collapsing on itself. Because one of the problems with the Oak Island money pit is that there's a lot of water in there, there's a lot of voids because so many people have dug there so often, and you can't really dig too wide a diameter of a, of a, of a hole because it will just collapse on itself but this this is a technique that was used as you mentioned when they did the the big dig uh um, depressing of the central artery in Boston and they were in, they were dealing with um wet soil conditions and this is what they came up with and so this is not you know unique to my uh, I'm not an engineer I didn't come up with this so other people suggested doing it up there at at Oak island. the problem is it's very expensive it's an expensive technique. Um, and, and and so the producer in, in my book basically says, I don't want to drop $10 million into this. unless I'm fairly certain that we think the Templars were here with their treasure. Otherwise, it's not worth it. And so he retains Cameron, Cameron Thorne, and says, Look, you're the Templar expert. You've got to tell me if this is a good bet. You know, I can't, I can't ask for 100% insurances, I understand that. But were the Templars here, and if so, is it possible that they left their treasures here from King Solomon's Templar or otherwise? before I drop all this money into this thing. And so that's that's sort of the trigger to get the book going. He he retains Cameron to go up there and give his best guess as to as to what's going on on the island.
0: Right. And so that leads us to and this is cut kind of, this is pretty controversial too. Uh but before we get into the whole Middle East thing uh, in in terms of Solomon, let's let's talk a little bit about Sheba, which is uh, the namesake of the you know the title of the book, Sheba's Revenge. queen sheba from ethiopia uh who was she
2: so this is i've always been fascinated by the story because you know every once in a while you'll hear one of your usually your aunt or your grandmother say to somebody in the family who do you think you are the queen of sheba and I who who is the queen of sheba (laughs) well so the story that you get and it's written in the old testament basically she lived at the same time as king solomon and as uh, King Solomon was very powerful in the Middle East, of course, and she was um, also powerful in her own right in Ethiopia. She was described as uh, bold, beautiful, and and brilliant. Uh, but she, like other leaders, traveled to Jerusalem to pay homage to King Solomon, to meet him, to to, to gain from his wisdom, to you know, diplomacy, you would call it. Um, but part of um, the the culture in her country, in Ethiopia, was that she needed to remain a virgin while she ruled and so she said to solomon who who was attracted to her you know you have to you have to promise not to uh to violate my chastity and he said that's fine i agree to that um but he also wanted to (laughs) so so what he did he basically tricked her he said i will i will agree not to, to to come to your bed if you agree not to steal anything from my palace And she said, well, of course, I'm not planning on stealing anything. What he did is he served her the night before she left a big banquet in her honor, and he made sure all the food was very salty and spicy. So she woke up in the middle of the night and reached for a water jug, which said property of King Solomon on it, and in the darkness didn't realize that and and gulped from the water jug. And Solomon, waiting in the shadows, said, aha, you violated your oath to me, so I can violate my oath to you. And so... Different versions of this story are told, so either he seduced her trickle, you know, with a trick, or he date-raped her, basically, you know, he took her against her will. Either way, what ended up happening was um, she became pregnant, and she had a son named Menelik, and about 20 years later, Menelik came of age and, and decided to return to Jerusalem to visit his father. And Solomon, to his credit, welcomed Menelik with open arms and actually asked him if he would stay and rule by his side. And Menelik said, thank you, Dad, but no, I I need to get back to Ethiopia and and rule with Mom. I'm I'm the the heir to that throne. And Solomon said, great, I understand. What I'm going to do for you is I'm going to send with you the sons of my best cabinet members, my best ministers, so they can advise you just as their fathers have advised me. And Menelik thought that was great, but the sons were not too happy about it. They liked their life in Jerusalem and did not want to go to the backwaters of Ethiopia. And so they conspired to do, uh, to steal the Ark of the Covenant, basically saying, if we have to leave, we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant with us. And so they left with Menelik, with the Ark of the Covenant. And when Solomon learned of this theft, he gave chase. And the story... Uh, that story is not told in detail as much in the Old Testament, but there is an Ethiopian uh, historical source called the Kebra Nagas, which right. goes into great detail of how uh, this chase incur- occurs and the escape route. But eventually, the Ark of the Covenant, according to many sources, ended up in Ethiopia, and according to many sources, it's, it's there today. Um, but that essentially is, is, is the story about Sheba and Solomon, um, that that's how the Ark of the Covenant ended up in Ethiopia, and if you if you read the uh, even today to this day the Ethiopian Constitution declares that the the King of Ethiopia shall be the the bloodline of this union between Sheba and Solomon.
0: Right. So the the the, the up until recently, I guess uh, the the leaders in Ethiopia were uh, they could draw a direct line to Menelik. The son of right to, to Solomon exactly. and, Sh- and Queen Sheba. Wow, amazing! Right. And then and
2: I think it was in the seventies. I think there was an uprising. Might even later that there was an uprising within our within the last generation or two, and that's no longer the case. But for for you know many many decades or centuries prior to this, exactly the 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 the, the leader of Ethiopia could trace their bloodline all the way back to you know, three thousand years ago, about nine hundred
0: right. BC. And then there was an airlift because there was a civil war in Ethiopia, and the, uh, Israel airlifted, right. I'm not sure how many, Ethiopian Jews back to Israel. And, and were they also then d- descendants, these, from Menelik? They,
2: they were probably descendants of the advisors sent to advise ah. Menelik. Remember I mentioned the minister's sons always right. And so that's one of the theories to how the Ethiopian Jews ended up down there, is that they descended from these advisors.
0: All right. So the other, the other uh, sort of subplot or main plot in Sheba's Revenge has to do with the location of ancient Israel, and this is where it gets controversial. Very controversial. Uh, be- yes. Yes, because well, you explain what one of the um, characters in the book discovers about the location of ancient Israel. Right. So or ancient Jerusalem. Sorry, ancient, ancient Jerusalem.
2: Ancient Jerusalem. Yeah. So. Even today, um, if, if you just open up a Wikipedia page and read about Jerusalem, one of the first things you read is that there actually is no archaeological evidence of Jerusalem going back to the time of King Solomon, which is really shocking. Because Solomon, if you read about what he built, he built the temple, of course, a palace, a hall of justice. Uh, he had five or six major... Um, Structures, and they were the center of all this international trade. And it would be as if um, centuries or millennia from now, people were looking for evidence of Washington D.C. and could not find the Capitol Building, or the White House, or the Supreme Court, or the Smithsonian Building. It's uh, almost unbelievable to think that they wouldn't be able to find evidence of any of the great structures of washington dc it's the same thing in jerusalem that there's no evidence whatsoever of any of solomon's structures in jerusalem and so a lot of arab sources have been arguing for about forty years now that the true jerusalem the true jerusalem of king solomon's time period is not in what we call israel today instead it's in western arabia western saudi arabia um, now of course if that were to be true that would call into question the whole Jewish claim to the promised land. I mean, if if the promised land was not really in, if Jerusalem wasn't really in Israel, then the promised land is not Israel, it's western Saudi Arabia, which, of course, nobody wants. It's just desert. Um, And so Arab sources have been sort of kicking this idea around for a while, and Israeli archaeologists have been desperately trying to find some kind of evidence that supports the claim that, Solomon's Temple really was in Jerusalem and have not been able to do that so far. The reason it becomes interesting in, in light of the, the Sheba and Menelik story is I mentioned earlier that, that Menelik and his, and, his, and his ministers with the Ark of the Covenant uh, escaped from Solomon, and, and the Kebron Agath describes their escape route. And if you read the escape route, it makes absolutely no sense if the if they started in Jerusalem in Israel, but makes perfect sense if they started in what the what we'll call Jerusalem in Arabia, the the the, the spot that the, a number of Arab sources believe it it should be, um, place names and and how fast they could travel and how many days it would take and when they would cross the 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 Red Sea and all that stuff it, it just makes no sense if you leave from traditional uh, Jerusalem, but it makes Perfect sense if you leave from Arabia, so that's an interesting the combination of the lack of archaeological evidence and the detailed escape uh, described in the Qabrinagass sort of gives some life to this possibility that Jerusalem really wasn't in um, in, in Israel. The story would be that the Jews were exiled uh, at during the Babylonian invasion, or I think it's five eighty seven BC, around six hundred BC, right, right. that they spent seventy or eighty years in babylon which is modern iraq and that when they were finally freed that that's when they went to modern day jerusalem a few hundred years after solomon and and at that point we do start to see archaeological evidence the idea being that nobody in the during the babylonian exile remembered where the real jerusalem was so when when the leader said hey we can't go back to the old jerusalem because it, it, it's it's no longer um, we're no longer welcome there We need to go to a a new Jerusalem, but we need to sort of tell the people that it's the old place, so they're excited to go. But no one will know the difference. We're just going from, you know, no one's old enough to remember, so we're going to go to a different one. And so they go to the modern-day Jerusalem around, you know, 500 B.C. instead of 800 B.C. And then we start seeing archaeological evidence.
0: I have to say... I don't necessarily believe that. I mean, there there is some – it's an interesting argument. I think about 10 years ago, they found some defensive walls in Jerusalem and right around where they believed the, the first temple would have been located. And, and uh, there were um, – uh, they were pretty thick, pretty thick walls and I'm not sure, several hundred feet long and there was a gatehouse and – and different things and um, it does mention I think in first Kings that Solomon built, built these defensive walls so I don't know if that's the if that's the smoking gun if that's the archaeological evidence that would would prove that uh, Jerusalem was located in Israel or not however it's um, they keep digging and hoping to find more perhaps um, right.
2: it's, it's, so, I mean there, there are hints at it but there's not nearly enough of, not nearly as much as you would think. Again, right if if the 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 structures that Solomon built were as elaborate as have been described, you would think it'd be very easy to find them and we 're just not finding them and so um there's other there's other like other little hints about this for example um i don 't want to get too deep into the into the argument, but there's a whole thing about um when Moses is wandering in the desert, he runs into his—he's in the Sinai desert with the, you know for forty years, uh, wandering, and he runs into his father-in-law, uh, Jethro, Zipporah's father, and uh, and that story always never made any sense to me either because if you're wandering in a desert as big as the Sinai, um, it's about the size uh, almost a, about two-thirds the size of the state of Maine. I mean, you don't just wander around and run into somebody. I think a more realistic story is that he went uh looking for his father-in-law who happened to live in uh not in the Sinai but uh, in Midian which is in western Arabia and because uh, Jethro was the ruler in that area, and that Moses had, had been exiled previously and had gone, and that's how he met Zipporah when he was in Western Arabia, Median. And so he went looking for him, so instead of wandering around, he said, well, instead of wandering a strange desert, I'll wander over to this other desert where my father-in-law is, and he'll be able to give us supplies and some land, and that story. And there's a Mount Sinai there, just like there's a Mount Sinai in the Sinai Peninsula. That story sort of holds water. Um, and then more specifically, we get to the point where they finally decide to stay, and, and settle. And the Book of Joshua goes into specific detail, the painstaking detail about how land is given to each one of the Jews who are wandering in the desert. This amount of land, and described here, given to given to him and, him, and him, and him, and him, and him. And the one thing that's shockingly missing in this is that Moses's children, sons, are given nothing. They're not mentioned at all, which is a really again uh, shocking. Uh, 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 occurrence. So why, why would Moses' sons be left out of this? What suddenly occurred to me, the reason left out is if this land was owned by Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, and they were divvying the land up and dividing up some of the land and giving it to everybody, there'd be no reason to give it to Moses' children because they're going to inherit it anyway from their grandfather. Right. So it would be like the king giving out land. He wouldn't give any to his sons because the sons get everything that's left over, everything that wasn't divided. So that's another sort of piece of this argument. Is if you read the book of Joshua, it, it, it's very strange that Moses' sons are not accounted for in the land distribution. So again, it's so, another, another evidence. But but yeah, so it's, right. it's still an open question. And and the point in my book that I make is that Israel doesn't want this to be a debate. Understandably, they, they you know sort of the whole basis of. Of the Promised Land and the Holy Land and all that, they just don't even want to have the conversation. They don't even want to let it dignify it with a response. And so, in my story, once this starts to, to percolate, the Mossad gets involved, and so we need we need to we need to end the story now. And the way that they decide one of the ways they decide to do it is they say, "Hey, you know, if the if the Templar gold is really buried at Oak Island and the Templars got their gold from Solomon's Temple." In the early 1100s, which most people agree they did, then we can test that gold and prove by one of two methods. One is, is basically every gold sort of has a, every gold mine has sort of unique fingerprints and attributes. The mineralogy of every gold mine is different, so we would know where the gold came from. and also we can tell when the gold was poured from its molten form into some kind of mold. Uh, there's a helium test that can be done. And so if we can prove that the gold that came out of Solomon's Temple is indeed 3,000 years old, then, then this whole argument goes away, because it would prove that it comes from Solomon's Temple, and Solomon's Temple is where the gold came. You know, everything, everything falls into place. And so right, that's right. how the Messiah so- gets involved in, in the Oak Island mystery. They want to get ah. the gold and use it to prove the, that this whole argument about uh, Jerusalem and Arabia is bogus.
0: So is that, is that true, that you could determine the location, the, uh, the exact location, and the time the gold coins were minted using, uh, you, you mentioned helium? This is all technology that's available today?
2: Yes. So um, all gold contains um, traces of uranium and thorium. Uh, when they decay, they produce helium. I'm getting in trouble here because I'm not a scientist. But when gold <laughs> is put in its molten form, the helium is lost. Once the gold cools, the helium's locked in again. So t- you take a sample of the gold and melt it down again, and then you can determine how old the helium is. How, how long has the helium been locked in the gold? By, you, you can ascertain it by measuring its rate of decay. So you know, I can't, but this is, this is done in a lab, and, and, and this is a technology that allows scientists to determine the age of gold objects. Uh, this becomes very important when you try to determine, if you're a museum, for example, whether something is, you know, is, is some kind of forgery, a gold was it real? Did it really come out of an Egyptian tomb, or is it a 19th century or 20th century fake? And so this technology becomes very important. Uh, but it could be used if if gold were to be discovered at Oak Island, we could use it if once it's been poured, we can date how we can date the as you said the time of minting if it happened to be a coin, or if it was just a, a, a candelabra or a goblet, we could date the, the go back to the time of when that was poured. And that becomes allow, that allows you to, to basically determine the origin of the object.
0: Well that's remarkable. So then then the the uh, key to to proving the location of ancient Israel or ancient Jerusalem in Israel lays or lies thousands and thousands of miles across the Atlantic in the money pit in a little island off the coast of Nova Scotia.
2: That, <laughs> well, again, all that's... this presupposes that the Templars really did find right. Solomon's gold under the, under the, you know, under the Temple of Solomon and the horse stables back in the eleven twenties or whatever, and that they did indeed bring it to Oak Island, uh, probably you know after they were outlawed in thirteen oh seven or maybe before, and that it still is there. That they never actually took it and did anything else with it, but there it is. So, you know, all this is. You know, I'll, we've got a, a, a number of, of of jumps we have to make, but, you know, I write fiction so I can have some fun with it. But that's how the story, that's how those two subplots link together, how the Sheba story links back to Oak Island.
0: That is a great premise, David. I mean, wow. Oh, thank you. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um,
2: right. And, so... and there's some strong evidence at Oak Island. I mean, there's there's... In particular, I'm I'm guessing this would be your next question. I don't want to jump the gun on it, but the the this carbon fiber, I'm sorry, coconut fibers have been carbon dated, and the coconut fibers come from these flood tunnels. And there's three different um, carbon dating tests, and they all come back in the twelve as 12th century uh, dates for the the coconut fibers. The coconut was used to uh, to to to, um, filter uh, the the flood tunnels. The, the, the box drains along the beach so that they don't get clogged up for these flood tunnels. Um, and there's really no way for, for the coconut fiber to make it to Oak Island, because, of course, coconuts are not native to anywhere near Oak Island, other than they were brought there by somebody in the 12th century. Now, who's out there sailing the oceans crossing the Atlantic in the 12th century other than the Templars? I mean, it, it almost has to be the Templars. So there's strong evidence with the, with the, with the coconut fibers. That there was a Templar presence on the island, and, and there's also the the, the the lead cross that the, they've made a big deal of in the last couple seasons. Again, 12th century, um, and, and they've tied that lead cross to other Templar-related sites in Europe as well. But um, there's lots of dates at the island that are later than that. But of course, that it's the earliest dates that, in my mind that are the most important because that establishes who first settled on the island or first deposited treasure on the island and then later dates are just more people coming over either to, to check on it or to remove it or to add to it or whatever but the original dates of these 12th century dates and they tie in the, the two of the dates for example uh, 1185 and 1180 are smack dab in, a, in accordance with Zena Halpert's research of, an, of a journey to the Catskills uh, and Oak Island 1179 to 1180
1: it's,
0: it's we'll, we'll get to that when we'll right uh, when we come back, David, we'll take a quick timeout. David S. Brody is with us, and uh, we are talking about Oak Island. The book is Sheba's Revenge. More in a moment. Don't go away. C sixty Evo delivers the miracle molecule, ESS sixty. It's pure carbon 60. Why not love your body and share C60 Evo with those you love? ESS 60 from C60 Evo is a mega antioxidant for increased strength, endurance, flexibility, and a deeper sleep. It's great for pets too. I take a tablespoon every day and so does the mighty Aphrodite. We're both sleeping better than we have in years and during the day we have such tremendous energy and vitality. We're both pain-free. In a landmark peer-reviewed animal study in Paris, France, rats fed ESS 60 lived twice their normal lifespan. Go to c60evo.com slash Richard serrett or click on the C60 Evo link in the episode notes. Use the code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. ESS60 from C60 Evo. Order your miracle in a bottle today.
1: In another reality, Richard is a very strong and handsome man. Just not in our reality. Although I heard somebody passing him in the hall the other day, and good, good, uh, a handsome man Richard is. I made that up. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard
0: Serrett, and we're back with David S. Brody. The latest is Sheba's Revenge. We're talking about Oak Island, and you mentioned Zena Halpern, and this was—he's uh, the, the the noted Oak Island. Uh, authority expert who passed away. What was it, 2018 or no? It was earlier this year, wasn't it?
2: Uh, no, it was. Uh, it's been almost three, three and a half years, I believe. So I think 2018. Ah, I think you're correct. It tw- was
0: that. 2018. And so there's this this map uh, that Zena Halpern had. Um, I think it's. I think you may, you have it printed in the book, Halpern's Map, right? right? And this, right. this shows, there's an arrow pointing to an island. It's not actually Oak Island. I think it's Frog Island, and there's a date on there. Or it's not a date. Some people think it was a date, 1347. Now others are saying, no, that's not a date. That that 1347 has has to do with navigation, or some there's some controversy around that map, right? Right.
2: There, unfortunately, in... I don't know if we have time to get too deep into all the Cremona document research she was doing, but no one has any originals of any of this stuff. And so a lot of it is, you know, is it, it, in my mind, the 1347 is the date somebody recopied this original map from 1179 or 1180. But for the purposes of the conversation tonight, on the map, uh, uh, the, the map is labeled um, in French the... Um, the Island of Oaks, and then on the map is a specific point that's mentioned, the vault beneath the Earth. And this map has been shown many times on on the Curse of Oak Island show. For some reason, they've never bothered to dig under the vault beneath the Earth. Actually, I know the reasons, because they they didn't, until, until very recently, didn't own that particular swath of land. It was part of uh, the Nolan land, uh, Fred Nolan's land. So only in the last, I think, two seasons have they actually owned that land to be able to access it. But um, it turns out that the, the, the spot on the map matches exactly the foot of Nolan's Cross, the very, um, the boulder, the Nolan's Cross is comprised of a number of boulders, and the, and the very bottom of the cross, the foot, there's uh, a boulder, and that matches up where Zena's map shows uh, the vault beneath the earth. And so in my story, that's where they go digging, looking for what they hope is going to be the Templar
0: gold. The vault beneath the earth. And, yeah. and um, you mentioned, or I, th- I think you mentioned the Cremona document, Helpern's his, his research on the Cremona document. And this is what kind of ties the Templars to Oak Island, right? It describes their journey to Oak Island. And the Catskills right. you mentioned. that journey,
2: 1179 to 1180, um, where they, they stop off in what it described as an, an island of oaks, and it's uh, off the coast of what we now know as Maritime Canada. It looks like Oak Island, and they continue on. They, they deposit, um, it looks like gold there, and they continue on and eventually end up in the Catskill Mountains. And most of the document deals with their time in the Catskills, but. Um, Importantly, they do stop in in off of Nova Scotia on their way into further south and further east. One of the things that they 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 that they do when they're um, in the Catskills is they um it, uh, they, they they find or they deposit a scroll which is the the ketubah, the marriage contract between the Hasmonian princess Miriam. Uh, Miriam of, of, of Migdal, which is basically Mary Magdalene, and uh, Yeshua ben Yosef of Cana, which is of course Jesus, son of, Joseph of, of Cana, son of Joseph of Cana. So this this scroll, this marriage contract, apparently is one of the things that they brought over, and that and that ties in with all the you know the the, the, the legends of the Templars and why they uh were eventually put down by the church and what, what 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 great secrets did they discover when they were in Jerusalem and and all the Da Vinci code stuff with Jesus and Mary Magdalene getting married and and all that and again we don't have time to probably get into all that stuff tonight but that's that's where these maps come from this this whole pile of documents which are called loosely called the Cremona document and within that document are maps and this particular map of Oak Island with the vault is what I use to trigger the opportunity to dig uh, at a spot
0: that might have the Templar gold so on the TV show um, they haven't they're they're preparing now to finally dig under that vault
2: no they're digging this season they're digging um, they're, they're, they're staying at the money pit and they're, and they're they're digging with with larger um, pipings um, I don't know if they're going to it's only been two two episodes, I think, this year. I don't know if they're going to be digging under Nolan's cross. Um, You know, one of the things that they, that this TV show, and and I'm not involved with it, so I I can't speak to it firsthand, but it's almost like killing the golden goose. If they actually were to find the Templar treasure, then the show would pretty much end. You know, part of it is the longer they can draw this out and keep us all interested and continuing to make finds that that lead to the treasure, the longer the series can continue. And so I've always thought that they are not necessarily interested in finding the treasure right away, because then what happens? This franchise is worth, you know, it's the golden goose. It's worth, it's the highest rated show I think History Channel has. And so I don't know how anxious they are to actually wrap things up. Now, I also know this year that the government of Nova Scotia has sort of jumped in and restricted them as to what they can do where they can dig um, they had free reign for a long time and now they are much more restrictive um, bureaucratically as to what they can do
0: any question in your mind that that there is in fact Templar gold there David
2: uh, very much I, I think if you had to pin me down I would say that I believe that the Templars did deposit gold at Oak Island but that later on it was taken away um, I just don't think that an organization that is that powerful and that knowledgeable and that good at keeping secrets and maintaining itself would just sort of forget that, that they deposited all this treasure and lose track of it. I, I've heard that one of the things that's that floating around out there, and there's another set of journals, not related to the Cremona document, but another set of journals, again that have not been substantiated, but. Those journals talk about how the treasure was taken in 1775 by a group of Freemasons who came up to Nova Scotia from Philadelphia and brought the gold back and used it to fund the American Revolution. And I think that's a really fun story, and it sort of resonates to something that makes sense if we believe that the Freemasons you know, were the successors to the Templars and, and the Templars were early... Um, promoters of the sort of the American ideals of liberty and freedom of religion and some of the things that we like to think the Templars were, 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 were uh, at the early stages of, of supporting in, during the, the Renaissance and the Enlightenment period. Uh, but that story would, would be a, a nice story. Um, I don't know if it's true or not, but, but I, I big picture, I, I just can't believe that it would still be up there. I just can't believe they'd forget about it and have left it, lost track of it and left it there.
0: Right. Th- this idea of using that goal to fund the, the revolution, um, I think it was Sir Francis Bacon. Didn't he sort of refer to the new world as the new Jerusalem? So that might make sense then for the Templars to want to to fund that project, right? Get the right. New Jerusalem the Templars, off the ground. Oh,
2: yes, the New Jerusalem and sometimes also the New Atlantis. But yes, the same idea, which was that, you know, so many of our founding fathers in America, in, in the United States were were Freemasons and they were, you know, promoting this ideal of this new experiment in um, civil rights and individual rights. And again, not that the Templars were 100% behind all that, but they were partway there. They were starting to, you know, they had been exposed to a lot of quote-unquote liberal ideas by traveling around the world. Remember, Europe was just coming out of the Dark Ages at this time, and and, and none of these ideas had taken hold. And the Templars learned a lot about this stuff while traveling and brought a lot of it back to Europe. And and many historians think you can trace the Enlightenment back to the ideals and ideas that the Templars brought back to Europe from the Middle East and the Far East and other places. And so the the roots of all this can can be traced back to the Templars and it does make sense that the Freemasons, being the successors to the Templars, would have wanted to continue that experiment or that new Jerusalem or the new Atlantis. And, and that, use, that, that treasure would have been, that would have been a perfect use for that treasure. It, it, it makes sense, like I said, it's a nice story. I just don't know if it's true or not.
0: Right, right. I, I interviewed the, I think he's the great-grandson of Jesse James, who was on the program a couple of times. And he believes his great-great-grandfather, uh, you know, he faked his death, lived, um, I think, well into the like the 1940s. It might have been in Oklahoma City or someplace like that. And he believed his great-great-grandfather was also involved in Templar treasure and had made a number of treasure maps. And they, they were adorned with interesting Masonic symbols and so forth. Have you heard about that story?
2: Yeah, I've seen that book. As a matter of fact, it's on my list of, of things I'd like for, for the Christmas this year. Um, I haven't huh. read it, but I've seen I've seen that story. But again, this goes back to what I said earlier, which is you know all of us want to believe in those treasures. You know, it's a, all of us old men. We, we want to, to find the, the child within us that still believes in the dream of buried treasure. Um, it, it's it's hard it's hard not to be seduced by those stories, and they're fun.
0: It's true, absolutely I uh, flying home from Greece the other night I, I finally got to see the goonies from 1985. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little late getting to some of these, but that's all about you know young kids looking for for buried treasure. Yeah. Um, you know, we
2: all, all spent our you know, age nine 10 11 before we discovered girls. You know, either playing sports or, or, or digging in our backyard looking for the treasure or panning for gold in the brook or something.
0: I got to ask you, you mentioned that we, we were talking about the, the Freemasons a little bit, which uh, brings us to your, your previous book, which um, came out, I guess, this past spring The yeah. Pillars of Enoch, Templars and the Melungian Legacy. What's that the
2: Malungians, about? Melungians, yes. Yeah, so the Melungians. They're a, a mysterious group of people who live in Appalachia. Uh, southern Appalachia, so Tennessee, North Carolina, Kentucky, and there are some famous uh, Melungeon people, Elvis Presley, probably the most famous, the um, Tom Hanks, the current actor, is Melungeon Cher, the singer, uh, Ava Gardner, the actress. But the thing about the Melungeon is is no one sort of knows where they came from. There was a Supreme Court decision in in uh, having to do with voting rights back in the early 1800s that declared that they were the descendants of the, of the Phoenicians. but And DNA tests sort of indicate that they're partly Portuguese, partly Cherokee Indians, partly Sephardic Jews, and partly North African, which is an interesting conglomeration of people. But in my story, I, I, I start musing about those groups of people, and, and what you end up with is Basically, the, the vestiges again for me. It always goes back to the Knights Templar. But the Templars, after they were outlawed, that sort of fits with what, what they were. They were they were traveling. They were, they were sailing this, across the Atlantic. They were pirates. They were in Portugal. They they uh, they accepted a lot of Sephardic Jews in their order after they were outlawed. So, you know, I started wondering whether. You could trace the Melungeon people back to the Templars. And what's interesting about Melungeon, and what, the way I trigger the story, is that it's pretty clear that the mother of Abraham Lincoln was Melungeon. And that would mean that Lincoln himself had perhaps African blood in him and Sephardic Jewish blood in him. And that opens up all sorts of interesting things when you start thinking about American history and, and you know, how would that affect what we learn in school, if it turns out that Abraham Lincoln, you know, he wanted to free the slaves, maybe because he identified with them, and that, if you start looking at some of the, for example, his his, his grandfather and a couple of his uncles were named Mordecai, which is a clearly a Jewish name, you know, and right, he, right. even the name Abraham itself is, is, is generally a Jewish name, but... Um, it's just interesting to think that perhaps Lincoln had other things going on in his life that would have motivated some of his decisions. So that's what I use sort to, to trigger that story. But the, the ancient Melungeon the, the Melungeon people uh, to this day even we're not quite sure they're not quite sure where they descend from. But DNA testing is sort of honing in on that and it, it seems to indicate that they are a conglomerate of people from that that, that, that had similar. A similar path to America as potentially the Templars had.
0: Oh, it's remarkable. It's remarkable. Do you ever, you look back on your days, you know, taking history in high school and, and thinking, my gosh, they were so off the mark. We just fed such a pile of malarkey. I,
2: I do, but I had a great second grade teacher. I remember raising my hand once as a little eight-year-old or whatever it was and saying, Mrs. North, why is the timeline between the Vikings and Christopher Columbus, why is it such a 500-year gap, I don't think I use the word gap, but why, why did nobody come back after the Vikings and before Columbus? And she looked at me and raised her eyebrow and said, that's a good question, David. Maybe someday you can answer it. So even as a little, what, <laughs> seven-year-old, eight-year-old, whatever I was, I had a great teacher who was saying to me, go figure it out. You're right. There's this stuff missing. And I, to this day, well, I, was, I was thankful to Mrs. Norris, who, who sort of put that in my head, that I can go answer some of these questions. Um, so Yes, it, it is a shame that we didn't learn all this stuff, but but it's also fascinating to start to fill in some of these gaps.
0: Uh, well, and you've been doing that, David, quite nicely. So we've got uh, Sheba's Revenge just available, I think, the last couple of weeks on Amazon. Just the last week. And yes. Just last week. Excellent. Yes. Well, congratulations. You've done it again, David, and uh, always enjoy yes. a, a visit from you. And we'll talk again soon, probably on coast, I hope.
2: I hope so. It's always a pleasure to be with you, Richard. Thank you so
0: much. A
1: new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need...